Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 You and I are transformed people. We're not what we were yesterday. We're not what we're going to be tomorrow. We're uncommon. One of the greatest things that we have about us is that God touches us. He touches us. He touches us. That song that says, He touched me. Oh, He touched me. And oh, what joy it floods my soul. Hallelujah. Something it happened, and now I know he touched me and me. Come on, sing it with me. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Hallelujah. Only Jesus, it happened, and now I know he touched me. A season in the Bible that is called the year Jubilee. How old are you? 29. 29. But God told me that there is a change of seasons coming into your life. And all that we did prior to the moment of that change brings us to a place of breakthrough with God. The number 50 being a year of freedom and a year of pouring out a year of extraordinary harvest but it's a year of jubilee and god told me that he's going to do something supernatural and know this that god is a restorer of everything that the enemy has taken everything and god is going to restore to you and it's going to be a year of jubilee a year of jubilee for your life for your life Mark it down. God is about to turn your season. He's about to end your time, and he's about to begin his time. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, he is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what? The Bible says in John the 15th chapter that God is the husbandman. He plants us. 
But then God does something very unique. He begins to prune us. And sometimes those things that we thought were important, we begin to see that they just aren't important at all. We just begin to see that they're just things that are, we call them on tomato plants, they're like little sucker limbs. They, they just suck the life out of us, never give anything to us. But God just told me you're going to go through a season. And it's a season of goodness because when God prunes, he prepares you for more fruitfulness. So that tells me that when God starts working, that God is positioning, that we can experience him in our life, through our life, more than we have ever experienced him so in the times that you have called out upon God and asked God whether it's worship or prayer going down the road in your car oh God I want more of you I want you to have my life God would say this I've heard your cry now I will begin the work you allow me to work the work and allow me to move you where I need to move you so that you can experience all that you can handle from my life to your life, from my presence to your presence, from my glory to your glory. So be not dismayed by the departing of people. Do not be dismayed by lifelong things. Just be encouraged, saith the Lord. For this is a season that you've asked for. This is a season that I'm responding to. I'm responding, saith the Lord. So let me prune. Let me cut off that which is not necessary. That your vine in your life will become fruitful before me, saith the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, he touched me. Oh, how you doing, buddy? I'm great. You aren't just looking for a church, are you? You're looking for a transformation. You really need God to transform your life. You need God to really, as it were, to sever the cords of yesterday. You want, yes, you want freed from yesterday, but realistically, you flipped over that leaf a hundred times. And it ain't never got you anywhere when the wind blows. So I'm telling you that God is going to cut things off. And you're going to begin to see the uselessness of things that still have their fingertips into your life. You know, Jesus said, come out from among them. And that really is a place he says, and when you do, I will be your God, and you shall be my disciple. God is about to cut those things off of you. You know, God is able to do above and beyond all we ask or think. And you've been thinking, God, I really need something new, but how am I going to arrange all this kind of stuff? How about we just put it into God's court right here today? Because I'm telling you, God is about to arrange your life.
because you want a change of life. You can't have change with yesterday's hovering over you and holding you back. Can't do it. It's impossible to serve two masters. God's going to sever some things in your life. And as long as you let them be severed, severed and let them be acknowledged that God is the God that is severing them, you watch God promote you. You watch God transition you. You watch God change you. Change you. Okay? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. God is a good God. Hallelujah. He did. It happened. And now I know. How you doing, guys? Good, how are you? Good, I'm doing good. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> Is that your wife there? She your girlfriend? Are you going to marry her? Uh-oh. No. Are you? I'm putting you in a tough spot. <laughs> Bring her right over here. Could I borrow her just for a section? A, a time here. Oh, if somebody asked you to write me a story on brokenness, you could both write chapters. You have been affected by those that have been called friends. David said that the wounds of a friend go deep. And I'm telling you, that was one of the reasons that you, as it were, walked in the fields. Those were your places when Isaac was out in the field. He was out in the uh, valley of Lakedish. And the valley of Lakedish is a valley of intercession. He had just lost his mother. His wife was in transition whom he had never met. And as he is in that place of prayer, his wife, is revealed to him and he sees her coming. She jumps down off of her beast of burden and runs to Jacob. They embrace and Jacob takes her back to his mother's tent, enabling her to be his voice, to be his counsel, to be his wisdom. In other words, God restored everything that Isaac had lost in the wound of losing his mother. I see you in that valley, and you've been praying. You've been saying, God, you know, why is this? Why is that? Well, I can tell you in a minute. They're just people. People. Christians are nothing but redeemed people. And I'll tell you what, if you want to see messages, just look at our families. I mean, our families are dysfunctional. We're in them. Hello. Amen. We're all dysfunctional. We've gathered here today not because we're perfect. Now, we are perfect in the eyes of God through his blood. But, you know, we are just a mess waiting to be cleaned up. Amen? Amen. Yeah, absolutely right. No matter how clean. I, I mean, I look at the kitchen. I clean the kitchen. The fellow says, comes in and says, are you going to clean this mess? I'm thinking, I, did, I just spent 20 seconds cleaning this place up. 
But you know what? You're about to have things restored to you. Restored to you. Don't be afraid to believe. Don't be afraid to trust. Because God's going to restore those things to you. And you could write a book. How old are you? 39. 39. You could write a book about brokenheartedness, unfaithfulness, discouragement, brokenness, desperations. You could write all of that in your book. But I'm telling you that God is a healer of brokenheartedness. I'm telling you, God is a healer. And one thing that has brought you here, besides running into that young man that is connected to that young woman, is hope. You always hope that there would be a difference of your future. And I tell you that today, God is going to set in motion and he's going to answer hope. You know, hope is a rare thing from the world, but it's a supernatural thing from God. And God is going to heal your brokenheartedness, just like he's going to heal your brokenheartedness. Disappointments, discouragement, loose ends, severed places. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I loose the anointing to heal brokenheartedness. God, to open it up that, God, we can be us and let people be themselves. But God, be so empowered by grace and love that, God, we're able to bear their burdens, cover their sins, God, and walk in a place of ministry. That, God, we're the type of people, God, being touched by you, that when someone asks us to go a mile, Walking in that mile, God, we hear about their struggles, their brokenness, their disappointments, their discouragements, their failures, their families, their broken dreams. We hear all that in the first mile, but God, we are people that go the second mile. And that God, we then go the second mile to encourage, to uplift, to help, to pray, to pay the price, to lift them up, God. And God, I ask today that right now you stretch forth your hand and heal these brokenhearted God. They're vessels that you have chosen, appointed God. And I'm asking you to mend them. God, much like the disciples mended their nets that they could be successful again, I should mend their hearts in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, guys. Hallelujah. Praise God. I know something it happened and now I Have you ever really wanted joyous freedom? Yes, sir. I know you do. And I'm telling you, when I looked at you, I could have pointed my fingers 
And uh, if I was a secret, uh, what do you call those guys? A superhero. A flash of lightning would have flew out of my finger, come down here and touched you and said, you're free. So I declare to you right now that you are free. And I mean you're free. You're free. You're free. You're free. And you be free. Hallelujah. 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 Did somebody uh, lose a pink or a rose-colored pair of glasses? They were in the women's uh, bathroom. Can you keep these, fellas? Keep these to next Mother's Day, and I'll give them to you. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can be seated. Welcome to Groundhog Day. <clears throat> Tell you how this came about. I was sitting around some people. These people were gibbering and talking about people that they knew in the church. And they said this. They said, <clears throat> I wonder if so-and-so still have the problem with so-and-so. I thought immediately, these people must be sinners and backsliders because no righteous man would ever have anything against a brother. I mean, that, that's our nature, is to be offenseless, that we cannot be offended, neither are we the perpetrators of offense in any way, shape, or form through our life because of Christ. So when I uh, got done listening to them, I heard this statement. Teach on groundhogs because Christians don't even realize they're being undermined what they are entertaining. So I want to talk to you about Mr. Groundhog. Now, I know that there is a groundhog advocate today, and I don't want to point him out, but if you know Donald Niekamp, he's the advocate for the groundhog. Are you here today, Darrell? Where are you? Darrell didn't show up because of Groundhog Day. He told me last week, he said, Now, Pastor, I know you're against groundhogs because you've been on the Internet, but... I just want you to think about the groundhog is just instinctively doing what God created him to do. So when he has slept like three quarters of his life away and he gets up and goes out of the hole, it's not his fault that he sees a smorgasbord right at his front door. So he begins to eat thinking he's blessed when really he's a cursing. He said, now I do agree that groundhogs can be dangerous, but I think we ought to pity the groundhog. I said, yes, I do too. I think we ought to fry him in deep grease hot when we do it. Now, can I have a groundhog on this? Oh, isn't he so beautiful? I mean, if you ever watch the news on Groundhog Day, this is the face that everyone is looking for to guarantee a new beginning, aren't they? Oh, yeah, I mean, they kiss him, they dress up, they do all kinds of stuff. Doesn't, oh, look at that, he's got it in his finger, he's flossing, 
listen, I'm, I'm telling you, doesn't he look so cute? Though many times they carry rabies. Somebody you wouldn't want to invite into your house. This right here is the beginning of a groundhog's work. He just starts digging, and guess what? He runs into the foundation. But the groundhog is resilient. He has more patience, more focus than human beings may ever have in their life. What he does when he runs in that wall, he digs down. This is a farmer that is working on a farmland that has groundhogs, and when the farmer drives over it, he falls in, he breaks portions of his axle, axle, and I don't know how much it costs, but he loses productivity. He has to do that. He's got to get it all jacked up. That's the farmers do. Also, if any of you have horses, they inform me that when groundhog holes are discovered on a farm with horses, the horses are notorious for breaking their legs. So what they do is they put big fence posts in the groundhog's hole and therefore try to protect the horses as much as possible. Next one. This is what a groundhog's den looks like. So that groundhog starts, he can go five foot down and as long as 45 foot, I had somebody tell me today, 85 foot, but he digs around and he has a potty chamber in there. I don't know what he does when he gets it full. Maybe he calls a, you know, area waste plant, I don't know. So he's got a toilet, he has a nest that he sleeps in, he's got chambers that he can stop in, and he has entrances. Now the reason it builds like this is because when the waters come in the flood, he has built his domain in a place where it works like plumbing. And what happens is those higher places like that work as chambers to keep the water levels down so his toilet is safe and his nest is safe. All right, do I have another picture? Evidently not. Yeah, there's a groundhog. And so now groundhog, we talked last week that he can eat somewhere upwards from a third to a uh, acre of beans. Now he does it nonchalantly. I'm sure there's no uh, hidden agenda. You know, everybody's conspiracy minded now. Christians are conspiracy minded. They did that on purpose. You aren't that important. Amen? Get, get over yourself. And uh, let's, let's not let the devil lie to us. I want to talk to you today about offenses getting into your life and destroying your foundation. When you let offense come into your life, you are starting to give place to something that is going to work whether you are awake or you are asleep. And it is going to dig under 
your place of domain, your safety. Why? Because offense is born as an instrument from Satan. And realize that when a groundhog comes into your yard or into your house, he has come to take what you have. He wants your grass. He wants underneath your home. He wants your property. And he is working all the time. He's in there breeding. He's in there eating. He's getting fatter. He's digging wider. He's digging deeper. And all of a sudden, we don't even know he's there until one day there comes a big rainstorm and a portion of our foundation caves in. Now our house is in jeopardy. We aren't even aware that it's happening. He looked so cute when he was in the neighbor's yard. Little did you know he was living in your house just over there at the Dairy Queen getting a refreshment. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about offense. And if you go to Matthew 16, 23, what is an offense? Oh, this is a, so simple. It's to see in another what you disapprove of. Did you hear what I just said? It's when you see in another or experience from another what you do not approve of. You and I as Christians do not live in a utopia or the Garden of Eden or a bubble in life. We are in the world, but we are not to respond or to be a part of this world. Amen? We are different creatures. We are born from above, not just from beneath. Our natures are different. It's Christ in us with the great expectancy that we will unveil him to the world. So realize that an offense is something that happens to you by experience or something that somebody does to you that you disapprove of. Now, they may do it by ignorance. They may do it because of youthfulness in the kingdom. They may do it because of the moment that they're in, the battle that they're going through, the struggles they're facing. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe they're going through financial trouble. Maybe they just got laid off. We don't know. But sometimes we automatically get offended even though people are in the worst place of their life and didn't do everything that we think they should do. That happens in my house 24 hours a day. Now, the word offense means also that when you find these disapprovals or experience things that you don't think people should have done to you, that they cause you to stumble. They cause you to become a problem in the way of another. It means that it entices you to do wrong, to respond wrong, to think wrong, to talk wrong. It means it will ultimately cause you to fall away from your faith. Offense is a dangerous friend and pet to have around your foundations. Now, 
let's go to uh, Matthew 16, 21. But he turned and he, oh, okay, there you go. From that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must, somebody say must, must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and of chief priests and the scribes, and be what? Killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, O Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Notice that Jesus recognizes this offense that is coming because it says, Thou art an offense unto me. Notice that Jesus doesn't accredit that type of malicious action from a disciple that has showed devotion, faithfulness, and love towards him. Jesus recognizes that offense doesn't just come from man, though he is the instrument of them. They are always satanic in nature. Now let me explain something to you. You, when we do not walk in the faith of God, when we do not adhere to the things of God, then we have to understand that we are being enticed by the devil to choose another way than the way of grace and faith. Could I get an amen? You are being enticed to resist the proclamations of God, the processes that need to go. I've got to go, I'm going to be rejected, I've got to be killed, and I've got to raise from the dead. Jesus tells it, this is a matter of fact, this is going to happen to me because of the fulfillment of Scripture. But Satan gets a hold of Peter and says, no, you're not doing this, buddy. Absolutely not. Jesus says, Satan, you are an offense to me. He doesn't look at Peter because he has this overwhelming understanding that Christians should have of others because the Bible says this, that we are to encourage the brothers and if we see a brother in the way of sin, we should go and restore him remembering that you're just like him. Galatians 6.2, could I get an amen? So Jesus doesn't look upon Peter's spirituality or his three years with him. He looks upon his humanity and understands that he's a work in progress. And what Jesus doesn't need at this time is discouragement because he's headed for a garden where he's going to pray, where his blood vessels are going to begin to exclude, uh, excrude, excrude, yeah, whatever that word is, uh, blood, and it's going to, his sweat is going to come out like blood. He's crying out, God, not my will, but thine be done. He is in a struggle that every man faces of the wills of his own and the will of God. But he doesn't blame Peter. Now, who are we supposed to be followers of? Peter? We're supposed to be followers of who? Jesus. Right. 
Now let's finish that verse. Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Any time that you choose a different course than the course of grace, love, and faith, you are choosing the course of men that are being manipulated and enticed by the devil. Yeah, all right. Now, uh, let's go to Matthew 18.7. Oh, Matthew 18.7. Now, I'm talking about a fence, being like a groundhog. Once it gets started, it just breeds. It just breeds. And it says this, Woe unto the world because of offenses. Notice something real unique. Jesus isn't talking to the church. Woe to the world. The only place that a Christian should be intentionally offended is from the world. And the only place that we should allow such offenses to take place without covering or absorbing them or responding in love is through the world. It says this, For it must needs that offenses come, but woe unto that man. Somebody say that man. Now the world is symbolic of the kingdom of darkness, but men are used in it to deliver the devil's will. By whom the offense cometh. Next verse. Wherefore, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off, cut them off, cast them far from thee. It is better for you to enter into life, halt remain, rather than having two hands and two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Do I think Jesus means you ought to cut it off? Well, I don't think Jesus is telling you to cut your hands off just because it keeps bringing pasta to your mouth. But what I do believe is that Jesus is pushing the severity of you being opened in the sense world to offense, getting you off course. Huh? If you could shut down your senses, how could you be offended? Because if you go through there, you see your eye, your feet, whatever it might be, they need to be put off. In other words, take control of these things. You be the master of them. Let them not master you. Amen? All right. So offenses can come from people intentionally. But they can also come unintentionally because of the recipient of the disapproved action directed towards them. All right, like this. In my younger days, not nearly as it is now, but if I was in the mood and I'd think about it all day and I'd say, boy, I want to go home and Phyllis and I are just going to hug and we're going to have a great time. I get home, sure enough, my feet ache, my legs ache, my hips ache, my back is sore, must be out of place. I got a headache, my shoulder is bothering me, and I'm starved to death, and I ain't in the mood to cook. <laughs> you know what that means to me? No! <laughs> Don't think of nothing. Now, now, in my younger days, I would do what Christians do. I would start pouting. Emotional punishment. I know none of you people have ever done that. You know you've all done it. 
We emotionally punish people when we don't get our way, don't we? Sometimes. Not now. You, you never do now. No. No. <laughs> I don't. Do you ever have any wants now? That's why you don't pout. You get everything you want. Now, moving right along, cut out the family squabble. But, so what we do is we can get offended when there are legitimate reasons for people doing things. Amen? And everybody has bad days except you. And the only reason you have bad days is because somebody came into your utopia and messed on your flowers. No, we all have off days. Amen? We all have them. And we have to deal with them. So we can be offended on purpose. But even on purpose, you have to get rid of that offense and understand where it's coming from. Remember, the devil is the root cause of all offense. And then we can be offended because we are offendable. We can be offended because we are offendable. And we don't want that to happen because the devil, no matter whether he's dealing with our mind to separate us from the word, or if he's using someone else the ultimate goal is to separate you from the covenant of love and provision, Romans 8, 32 on down. That there, this persecution and tribulations will separate you from the love of God. Now, Matthew the 8th chapter, verse 18th chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 7. Where, oh, there you go. Woe well, unto the world, no, is, is that what I said? No, I'm sorry, 13, 7. What is wrong with you, Peter? I don't know. All right. Can I have Matthew? There you go. All right, let's go up to uh, verse... No, no, that'll be good. And some fell among thorns, talking about the parable of the seer, sower, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and brought forth sixty, some fruit, sixty, some hundred, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came into him and said, Why speakest thou unto them in the parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him it shall be given. He shall have more abundant, but whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that that he hath. Therefore I speak unto them in parables, because they seeing not, hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and by seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, least at any time that they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Now, let's go back up to verse 5, I believe. 13.5.
Okay, let's start. There. And some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. Forthwith they sprang up because they had no depthness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Oh, I want you to go up a little further. I'm looking for because of offense. I'm sorry. Uh, go up to verse 4. Let's go up to verse 3. Don't you love this when I don't know what I'm talking about? Uh, yes, uh, I'll tell you what. Let's change that to Mark 4.12. I know that one's in there. Mark 4.12. Say, why didn't you read your notes? Don't write them down half the time. Mark 4, 12, it says, okay, uh, be converted. Let's go to Mark 11, 4, 11. Uh, let's go to, to, to 4, uh, I'm sorry, 4, 13. Come on, quickly, I got to need help here. Parable. Uh, let's go down to 4, 14. 4, 15. 4.16, Or persecution arises. Thank you. And uh, we're going to read this in the next verse. And have no root in themselves, so endure but for a time afterward when the affliction or persecution, which simply means offense, arising for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. There you go. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, next verse. And all the cares of this world, deceitfulness, riches of other things come in and choke, and it becometh unfruitful. The translation says that they are offended and quickly forsake their faith. What is the word, what is offense after? You're complying with scripture. Could have get an Amen. Paul said this, if I do things that offend my brother, 1 Corinthians 8, 7 through 15, he says, I will no longer do them. In other words, if I eat meat and it offends my brother, I won't do it anymore. Well, I'll do it in my home. No, I won't do it anymore. Well, uh, but I'll do it in the privacy. No, I won't do it anymore. See, offense being given to other people is a dangerous cycle to set in motion. And then receiving an offense by someone unintentionally is also a dangerous process set in motion. Could again, amen. So we have to understand that these offenses that come, come in to separate us from the will of God. They want what you have. They want your grass. They want to do everything that they can to get your property. You are going to have to protect yourself from offense. Could it get an amen? amen? All right, praise God. Now, let's look uh, at 1 Corinthians 1, 9 through 12. You cannot be transformed by something that has been taken. In other words, if offense takes you away from the scriptures and then you stumble and you withdraw from your faith, the only hope that you have has been taken away. 
Amen? So offense doesn't just affect your moment. It affects your future. Amen? Because if the word is taken away from you, how can you be transformed? If you withdraw from being a participant or a doer of the word, how are you going to be protected or rescued in the times of danger? You can, according to Luke 6, 48. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, it says this, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his dear son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, that uh, by them which are of the house of Cleo, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Now what is happening at contentions? Anybody know what contention is? They're born out of offenses. What is an offense? It's a difference between two people. The only thing that keeps the body of Christ unified is the application of this word to our life. When we start interjection, interjecting our opinions, our likes, our dislikes, the things that displease us, the things that are not necessarily owed to us, we violate the context of being united one with another. And what is the result? Is disunity. Offense brings disunity. Then it begins to bring sex, birth, because one person likes this, one person has an opinion of this or that. Folks, we're not here to build upon opinions. People tell this. Well, well you know, uh, do you ever read commentaries? Why? What would give you an understanding of what somebody else thinks? I heard a man make a statement a while back, said that, uh, well, you know, uh, hell is at the interpretation of each individual. Oh, really? Yep, yep. So his interpretation from the commentary was that hell is a state that when Jesus returns, that men will want to sin, but they can't, so they will gnash and weep and cry because they are restrained by the love of Christ. And no, 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 go back to Revelations. It says that hell and death are cast into the lake of fire with all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, how in the world can a loving God send people to hell? Because he's just. Every man makes a choice. The Bible so simply in Romans 6 chapter says this, whoever you yield your members to, that's who you become the servant to. The wages of sin is death. Nobody has to earn that paycheck. But if you choose to, you can. The Bible says the ways of God are just, clean, and holy. 
I never questioned the justness of God because I know that he knows what he's doing. And to question his decisions is simply think that you might have a deeper insight than he does. No, we, we don't. Amen? No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid by Christ Jesus. No other way can any man lay except the way of Christ Jesus. He said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. There is no other way. There is no other life. There is no other truth except Jesus Christ. Could it get an amen? Once a believer is offended, it begins to take away the scripture, therefore take away any avenues of faith to receive grace. The second thing that comes out of offense is what I just mentioned, division. The word division simply means disunity. It means to become two instead of one. It means to separate yourself and in it is envy and strife and the desire to punish the person that doesn't agree with you. Remember, as soon as division come, well, I'm of the house of Cleo. Well, I'm of the house of Stephen. What were you seeking to do? You were emotionally and spiritually seeking to hurt the person that doesn't agree with you. Come on, praise God, Methodist or Lutheran. Could I get your background to say shout hallelujah? This is, this, this is not bad. This is the good news. I'm telling you what takes place. And so once people get offended, then they get divided. Then a quarrel between two people has been started. Their will and their opinion against mine. But somebody has to choose God's way. And then division goes into a split-tongueness. A split-tongueness. Well, what's a split-tongueness? Oh, you know what it is. When you tell everybody about what that other brother did to you. You repeat a matter. You reveal a man's sin. You spread discord among the brothers. That's a split tongue. Now, the Bible tells us. This is an amazing fact. The Bible actually says this. That we, in Ephesians 4.31, are to put away from us anger, wrath, blasphemies. In other words, we're never to be offended to the point that we repeat what happened nor tell people what someone else did or tell them your opinion about it. That's a split tongue. That reveals to us that there are two types of spirits controlling your life. One is of God, but the tongue can be tamed by no man. But it is controlled by spiritual forces. One is demonic and one is godly. So tell me what side is the split tongue on? The devil, you're right. There you go. 
Now, after a split tongue comes this. Oh, man. Listen, this is what all offenders and offended people are striving for. Whoa, we've reached the pinnacle. Bitterness. Bitterness. What is bitterness? Whew. It is a great discontentment against the actions of another. It is being burdened down because someone had not complied to your likeness. That's bitterness. And what happens is this bitterness begins to get in our heart. It grieves us. It vexes us. Job said that I am bitter in my soul. You know that your soul begins to be swallowed up when offense is not dealt with. It's eroding your fundamental foundations of joy. Come on, hallelujah. It means to be, here, here's what bitterness, it means to be joyless, to lose your zeal. You remember when Jesus was stirred by the zeal of the house of the Lord and he cleansed the tabernacle and set things back in order? Do you, you remember that story? Well, let's just realize that you lost that zeal and that joylessness. In other words, you could walk by in things that were totally out of disorder in the temple of God, which you are, and not be phased by it. Did, did you hear me? We could walk by the disorders in our life and not be phased by it. We could walk by disorder in other people's lives and not even be concerned about it. But that's not what Jesus did. He had a zeal and he cleansed the tabernacle. So we realize that Bitterness causes disorder to be not seen. In other words, we become as blind as the Pharisees that Jesus said could not be converted or changed. Bitterness means this, pain that you can't explain. Pain. I mean, you, you just hurt. It is an inflammation. It is an infected area of your life. Bitterness steals your love for others, for the word, for prayer, for fellowship, and faithfulness. You know what embittered people do that start out being offended and let this process and let them little groundhogs get in? Ultimately, they lose any faithfulness to the church, to the kingdom, to the service of God. They think that if they just move to another house or another place, it'll be okay. But every neighborhood's got groundhogs. And if you take the ones that are living in you, you'll just infect the neighborhood. Come on, hallelujah. Phyllis, didn't you used to have a pet groundhog? You had a pet groundhog. Well, how did that pet get in your house? A little baby. Oh, he found it. 
So you took it in. Yeah. It was cute. Yeah. What happened to it later? One day it ran away. Is that the one your mama ate? Okay. <laughs> that was a chicken. Her mama ate her pet chicken. The groundhog said, I'm out of here. I smell feathers. <laughs> Jesus tells us that we need to protect ourselves because after bitterness... Here comes almost a hopeless state with man. Go to Deuteronomy 24.1. Remember the activity of the groundhog. He looks so beautiful. You have a right to be offended. Then he does what? He brings division. He's separating the strength of your foundation from your house, building big gaps. And then he splits your tongue. And then bitterness of heart comes in. The last thing that takes place is the hardness of the heart. And it says, and when man, when a man hath taken a wife and has married her, and married her, and it come to pass that if she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath, he hath, somebody say he hath, found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it to her in her hand and send her out of her house. And when she is departed out of the house, that she may go and be a what? Another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, this woman's got some problems, buddy, and wrote a bill of divorcement and give it to her hand and sent her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, and her former husband which sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after that she is defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and that shall not cause, a, and thou shalt not cause the land of sin, which is the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Now, you want to, boy, you even hate to say this, one of the biggest causes of divorce in the body of Christ is the hardness of people's hearts. It's not fornication. It's the hardness of your hearts. Because you find one small thing in them, and you say, yuck, that doesn't please me. But remember, behind every splinter, there's a wood pile waiting to burn for a long time. Now, so hardness of heart comes after bitterness sets in. Hardness of heart. You know what hardness of heart does? It breaks covenants. It'll cause you to turn on them that you are to love. Come on. That's just happened right there in the hardness of heart. But Jesus said, but in the beginning it was not so except for the cause of fornication. But he says, but for the hardness of your heart did Moses give you a writing of divorcement. God gave us writing of divorcements because of the depth of damage that a hardened heart can cause.
Jesus said, because of the hardness of their heart, they will not believe. After bitterness, joylessness, the things that we talked about, here comes the hardness of heart. You know what it's bringing? Unbelief. You know where you're headed, don't you? You're getting further and further away from the foundations of your faith with God. And Luke, the sixth chapter, is about to be set into motion, and the rains are going to come. So I would be like, what was that little chicken? Uh, chicken doodle, what was the name? Who? Oh, Chicken Little. I would be saying, what must I do? What must I do? What must I do? I've got the resolve. Go to 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, verse 5 through 7. I have the answer of what we should do. What should I do? What should I do? What shall I do? I'm going to tell you how to reverse all of this. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brother. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you. Now, there's two reasons for a fault. There is a difference, contention, offense, without going to the scriptures. Now they're taking it before the world. And that's where all offenses, division, split-tongueness, bitterness, and hardness of heart ends up being on display is to the sinner. And then we wonder why they don't want to join the wonderful family. And then, and I'm not trying to be hard. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just telling you what I need to tell you. Look, this may not be you. Then don't take it. But if it's you, make a pie and eat it. Get it on the inside of you. Then it says this. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather... What? No way. You're... Yeah. That cannot be so. Anybody in here got bifocals? What, what is that word? Do you not rather take, take, I, no, take wrong. Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Wow. No, you do wrong, defraud, and that your brother. Now, what is Paul telling us? Offense is never to have priority in our life, even when it's intentional. Take wrong. What, you just want me to walk over them? That's not what I said. I didn't say that at all. I said, take the wrong. Handle it the way that God said for you to handle it. 
because God will reward righteousness, but he will not reward you responding carnally and acting like unbelievers. Yeah. Okay. It is destructive to you, not just the one that did it, but the one that is on the receiving end. It may not destroy the one that did it because he may not know or she may not know that she did it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask a real loaded question. But has your wife ever offended you? Yep, absolutely. Mark, has your wife ever offended you? Yep. Are you still married? You still got that in your heart? No. No, 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 no. Prayed for him. Yeah. God changed her. Translate her. Put her in the ground so you can raise her at the end. Hallelujah. He's using faith. Larry, she ever offends you? Yeah. Chandra, has Ben ever offended you? Yes, absolutely right, absolutely right, absolutely right. Absolutely. People offend people. Your wife ever offends you? Oh, yeah, you say no. <laughs> I see. Yep. Do you take, you got your black belt? No. <laughs> She's just white knuckles. Corey, your wife ever offends you? She has. You haven't been married that long. And out of all of that offense, you still got a baby. That'll tell you, get over offense quick. Now, what I'm saying is this. When we get offended in our families, we overcome them. But when we get offended in the church, we become overcome. You, as a believer, the first thing you have to do is recognize you are wrong. Yeah. Oh, but they did it. <laughs> so did your wife. So did your husband. We all know that we are the innocent victims. We all know that. I've got that down pat. It never works, but I do got that down pat. You forgive your family. The first thing you need to do is admit that you're wrong. But my wife offended me. Yeah, but it says that you are to take the wrong, not to let it infect you, fester, and share it. So the first thing you want to do is make sure that you admit that you are a problem. Really, folks, if you cannot look at people and overlook their faults, there is something with the eyewear that you have on. And then you need to talk about it only to God. Somebody say only to God. Because then the Holy Ghost will get involved and he'll bring scriptures back to your mind. And then, number three, get in forgiveness 
no matter what the cost. Forgive them. Now, I know that Phyllis offends me. But really, I think in my mind, how could she offend me on purpose? I'm so lovable, handsome, debonair. Like, who could be offended at me? Nobody. Why? Because you can do anything you want to me, and I won't retaliate. Now, I'll send one of my brothers to your house, but I won't retaliate. So, get in forgiveness no matter what the cost. You're bickering about peanuts when there is blessing uncontainable waiting for us. And then get back into the Word. I know that it's hard. Get back into the Word. Get back into prayer. And if you have to, chastise your soul with fasting. Get back to your mind that God is your master and not man. Secondly, get yourself set to spend time in praise because God inhabits the praises of his people. Then begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, 1 Corinthians 14, 4, that we can edify ourselves. Jude 19 through 21 says that you build yourself up on your most holy faith and keep yourself from the sensuality and the responses of the world. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Then more and more, and we're done. I know somebody, hey, hallelujah. I agree. I can't wait to get that waffle thing out there. All right, Psalms 51. Begin to pray this prayer over your life. Psalms 51, verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sin and blot out all mine iniquities. God, create in me a clean heart. O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast not away from me thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then David says, then will I. Maybe you're someplace that you can't. Maybe you're someplace that you can't trust, you can't love. It just, you just been run over, roughshod. I could say sorry for the times you've been run over, but I can't stop people from running over you again. Only you can stop the damage. Only you can bring in a professional to deal with them dirt dogs. I call them dirt dogs. They're called woodchucks, groundhogs. I like to call them dirt dogs. They're dogs and hogs that live in the dirt. So I guess they would be dirt hogs. Whatever name you put on them, you're going to have to get rid of them. Because they will not go away, no matter where you go, they're going with you. 
Now I would ask you, how much would it cost me to purchase your soul to infect it with offense, division, a split tongue, bitterness, and hardness of heart? How much, how, how much do you want? How much do you want to be separated from the Word? How much do you want to be separated from God? How much do you want to be offended enough that your faith cannot see you through? How, how, much, how much you want? How much? A hundred thousand? No, it's not worth it. A million? Would you take a million? Would you take a million? How much would it cost me to buy you for an eternity with a God? How much? Maserati? A new house? A husband? Like me? <laughs> How much could I buy you for? Some of you, most of us, sell ourselves out for an opinion. We sell ourselves out because we are not pleased with how somebody's treating us. You ever been offended at work? You ever been discouraged at work? Did you quit? You mean you still kept the job? Don't you wish Christians would do that? The only person or the only institution that suffers out of offense besides the individual that is headed for a hardened heart, separated from God, is the church. Because everybody blames the church for their offense. Now, if you've been offended in this church, join the house of Peter. <laughs> I woke up yesterday, I got offended. I've been offended a hundred times. I mean, I've been told I'm not even smart enough to be pastor. And then Phyllis Harold, I, I told you so. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, see, now, I don't get offended. I get hurt. But I never let hurt dominate the heart that God has given me for people. Amen. So let's not blame somebody else. Let's look at ourselves. And if I'm offended and it's affecting me, it is my problem. It is my problem. Right? <laughs> you do, I, I know you're wagging your head. <laughs> <laughs> have, have, a, have you ever offended me? Yes. <laughs> you did Many not. Times. You did not even Many say times. that in front of these people. Many times. No, I have. <laughs> have I offended you enough for you to leave? No. <laughs> Do you have new luggage? No. It's about a year old. About a year old. Yeah, so it's pretty new, and it all works. Yep. The zippers open up, yep. and then you put stuff in them, and zipper closes down. Yep. So anytime you wanted to be offended bad enough, you could leave. I could. Why do you stay? I choose to forgive. You, you were supposed to say, I'm in love with you, but I'll take forgiveness. I'll take forgiveness. Now, folks, let's not become the victims 
of the devil looking for people that have no understanding. Amen. I hate to be taken advantage of. Don't you? I hate to be taken advantage of. You know, it's like one of those things. Uh, free bottle, a month supply free. Now, now don't believe that. Because I signed up one for one, and Phyllis had to get involved and call the bank and say, he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> the lady said, does he have Alzheimer's, dementia, or anything? She said, nobody acts like it. It said free. What do you think free means? You're right. It means that you get one without a monthly charge. But then the stinger comes in that you are signed up for 99 years, living or dead. You are getting testosterone every month. So then I started looking for chill pills for Phyllis. I'm telling you, it took a month and a half to get me testosterone free. Are you testosterone free now? I'm like a whip puppy. She said, get to the corner. I just go over and roll up in the ball. She's got her wish. Now look, I'm just telling you, you're going to have to deal with it. Amen? Don't think you can get it out of the bottle. Praise God. You can't. Let's stop being foolish. I got a check the other day for $35,000. They said, just sign in cash. I was headed for the bank and Phil said, where are you going? I said, I'm at the bank cashing this check. I said, somebody sent us $35,000. She said, who sent you $35,000? I said, well, the first bank of uh, Wyoming. She said, dummy, if you cash that check, we got to pay it back. I said, that don't say it on the check. She said, read the fine print. And sure enough, I had to pay that back. What if I didn't have a wife led of the Holy Ghost and not a cell phone? I would have cashed $180,000 in the last year. And I'd be broke. But I'd have guns and dogs. Now, let's not be so foolish that we send somebody $500 for a 100-foot yacht that we just won. Okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we are the unoffendable. We are those filled with the love of God. Father, we are those that cover the sins of our brother. God, we cannot be offended, nor will we respond like the offended people. God, we will respond in love. We will suffer wrong, but we will not, God, separate ourselves from you. We won't do it. We are your people. We are the sons and daughters of God. We are born from above and not from this world only. God, we are filled with your spirit. We are empowered by the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Father, we can be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We are unbreakable. We will not bend. We won't burn. But God, we will love.
we will love and display the power of the cross in our life. In 